You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The title of my sermon is called Cognize. For those who don't know how to spell that, C-O-G-N-I-Z-E. I thought it was a fun word. I thought I'd just put it up there as the title today. The, the title and the definition of Cognize means to perceive, to become conscious of, or to know. To perceive, become conscious of, or to know. And I believe, I'll put it in a sentence for you people who don't know what the word means, you will be cognized of the following three truths from this verse today. By the time you get done, you're going to know your position, you're going to know your possession, and you're going to know your papa. All the P's, all the alliteration today. Know your position, know your possession, and know your Papa from Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The first truth we're going to talk about today is knowing your position. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, part A, it says, And because you are sons... No ifs, ands, or buts around there that Paul is making the statement to the church of Galatia and to those surrounding churches that read this letter. He's telling them from this scripture that your position is sonship. Now, I'm not going to go back from saying sons and daughters, but it's implied that as a child of God, you are a son and daughter of God. So I'm going to stay in the realm of talking about sonship, but no, women, that also applies to you as well. To know your position and because you are sons. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and we'll jump down to 14 and 15, but starting in verse 10, says, For it was fitting for him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. It was fitting for him to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Verse 11 says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, are all of one. For which re- reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Isn't it refreshing today to know that Jesus is not ashamed that you're a part of his family? Now we all, whether we admit it or not, have at least one, depending on what family you come in, or multiple people that you are ashamed to call part of your family. There's that one family member we try not to invite to Thanksgiving that we tell them to go to a different house on Christmas Day. And if you're sitting there, you're saying, I don't think we have anybody in the family that they're, we're ashamed of. Chances are you're the person that your family may or may not be ashamed of. But it says here in the scriptures that Jesus, who is our big brother, is not ashamed to call us family. That We know our position, and our position is sonship. We have a big brother named Jesus, 
And he died, planted like a seed in the ground, so that when he rose, there would be a great harvest of bringing sons into glory. Not bringing them into sin, not bringing them into failure, not bringing them into defeat, not bringing them into the negative things of life. But where he's bringing them is he's bringing them into glory. He's not afraid to call you a brother or sister. In verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy, not that he might, he did, let you know, he did destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The devil is already defeated. There's anything that you don't remember from the sermon, remember this. The devil is already defeated. Jesus, your big brother, has already beat up the bully. He's already taken him down. He's already embarrassed him. He's already told him to leave his younger siblings alone. And if he doesn't, then you can call on your big brother to remind that dumb bully that he's already been defeated. That is the devil. And look at verse 15. It's beautiful that God would send his son to defeat the devil. That is good enough. Thank you, God. If you did nothing else for me, you defeated the devil, you've moved him out of the way, then I appreciate it. But God is a God of more than enough. Not only did he defeat the devil, he also released you of those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You were subject to a lifetime of bondage before you met Jesus. But now that you are a son, now that you are a younger brother of Jesus, who's defeated the bully, he's also released you from a lifetime of bondage. And not only did he release you from a lifetime of bondage, which would have been great, thank you God, you don't have to do anything else, that is enough for me. He's also released you from an eternity of bondage. No longer are you separated from God for eternity. You were brought near to God. You were brought into his house. He's not telling you that you have to stay on the outskirts of heaven. Well, anybody from America, they, I mean, the Jews can come in. They can come into my throne. They can come. No, 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 no. He's saying anyone who believes on the name of my son gets the title and the position of sonship. And if you are entitled to the position of sonship, then you have the same rights and you have the same opportunities as his own son, Jesus himself. Praise God. Because as he is, so are we. So the scripture says. If you've been in foot, if you've been around, whether you watch football or don't watch football, you've heard of the name Tom Brady. Whether you like him as a player, whether you don't, he's out and about, he's on the football field, but he's also got all of these different businesses. And this man is considered, so far, the greatest quarterback to ever play the position, whether you like it or not. Some of the stats of Tom Brady is that Tom has won seven Super Bowls with his teams, seven of them. Of those seven, Tom won five Super Bowl MVPs, most valuable player of the Super Bowls. He's won five of seven. He's also won three NFL MVPs, most valuable player of the entire NFL as the position of a quarterback. 
Currently, Tom Brady owns seven NFL quarterback passing records, seven of them. Of all the people who have played the quarterback position over all these years in the NFL, he owns now seven of those records. He has thrown to date over 84,000 yards in a game. Not one game, but multiple games over his career. He's thrown over 600 touchdowns in the NFL. 84,000 yards over that and over 600 touchdowns, seven Super Bowls, five MVPs, three NFL MVPs, seven records. This man is convinced of his position in playing quarterback. I have not seen Tom Brady. Maybe he'll do it this year. He runs out onto the field on the first day, the first game, and he's in the huddle with his players for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he's bending down, he's telling them to play, they're about to do it. And there's some guy in the stadium, say he's in section 114, row B, seat four. And he says, Tom Brady, you suck at being a quarterback. And Tom Brady calls a timeout. And he runs over to his sideline and he comes to his coach. And he says, coach, I have to quit. He says, Why? He says, well, that guy up there told me I sucked at being a quarterback. I, I, I don't know if I can do it. I don't think I can do it anymore. I'm not, I'm not a good quarterback. That guy said it, so I'm just going to give it up. Or before he starts the game, he gets a phone call from his parents. He's 20, 30 years in the league, and his dad calls him and says, hey, boy, I love you, but I think you need to do a career change. The position that you're in, it, it's not working out for you. You've been failing at it for a long time. I've just bitten my tongue, and now I'm telling you it's time to move on. I'm telling you right now that there is no one on this planet that can convince Tom Brady that he's not supposed to be in that position of quarterback. Not even when he looks in the mirror and he says, I don't know if you're supposed to be a quarterback. No, there is nobody on this planet because he has studied so much. He has put in the hours. He has played the games. He has done everything that he could do to fulfill that position. You need to be convinced and know your position in God. Nothing or no one, including yourself, should be able to talk you out of your position. That somebody can come up to you off the street and say, you're a Christian? Well, I saw you do this, this, and this. There's no way that you can be a son of the Most High God, that you can look in the mirror when you wake up in the morning and say, man, I can't believe I did that last night. I can't believe I keep failing in this area. There's no way that God loves you. There's no way that the devil shows up and tries to tell you and whisper in your ear, no, 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 I have, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have walked, I have done the things throughout my life that no one is going to convince me that I'm not supposed to be a son of God. You need to know your position. And the scripture starts in Galatians chapter 4. And because you are sons, today you need to know your position, that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. Next, you need to know your possession. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, section B. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. That God has sent forth. There was nothing that I could do 
Nothing that I could try, nothing that I could, there's no amount of money I could do. I couldn't go scale the seven tallest mountains and then God would give me the spirit of Jesus. I couldn't buy the fanciest car and fanciest house, get the biggest job. I couldn't do anything. God chose to give a gift to each and every one of us by sending forth his, the spirit of his son. And where did he put it? Into your heart. He didn't put it somewhere far away that you had to seek and find. And when you said yes to Jesus, you get a treasure map and everybody goes on this journey to go find Jesus in the jungle, go find Jesus in the desert. No, no, no. He made it so easy and so accessible that anyone at any time who calls upon the name of the Lord instantly becomes saved and they get the gift placed inside of their heart by God. He sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. Ephesians 2 tells us that there's no works that we could obtain this free gift of God. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He, talking about God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered, gave him as a gift, delivered him up for us all, all, everyone, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. My pastor says it all the time. Chances are he'll say it next week. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. If he gave you his one and only son, he'll give you anything. He's not, there's not too big of an ask out there where God is like, time out. I don't like that. We're going to have to do a big, a big conference about that to figure out what that means. No, no, no. If he'll give you Jesus, his most prized possession, his one and only son. Jesus was not option four. God does not have 15 sons. And then the runt, he's like, well, let's give him Jesus. I want to keep my big boys up here in heaven. No, he gave his one his only son, his most precious gift. And if he gave you that gift, then you should have the faith to believe and ask that your father will give you whatever you need. You've got to know your possession. But not only did he just give you the Holy Spirit once you got saved, he also gave you gifts. When he formed you in your mother's womb, when he was helping and working and deciding your future and deciding what family you were going to and what time period you were going to be in, he put gifts inside of each and every one of us, gifts that can help us minister to other people, gifts that can help us accomplish things in life. He's placed gifts inside of us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter's talking and he says, as each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a gift, that there is a gift inside of you. There might be multiple gifts inside of you that God has given you. And the reason he's given it to you is so that you can be a blessing to others. God has blessed you and he also wants to be a, you to be a blessing to others. That the gift that is placed inside of you, that we find out what it is. And then it says to be a good steward, which means I don't get embarrassed of my gift and go hide it. Well, I'm not, 
I know that I'm called to do this, but I'm not good at it, so I'm not going to do this. Somebody else, I saw somebody else have that similar gift, and because they did it so much better, I don't want to do it because I'm embarrassed of it. That we learn to enjoy the gifts that God has given each and every one of us. That God has placed the gift of his Holy Spirit inside of you through salvation, but then he's also placed other gifts in you as well. That we understand and find and search out what those giftings are and not hide them. You remember the talents, the, the parable of the talents? Where God, the, the guy gives five to one of the servants and the servant immediately turns it around and gets five more. And then he gives it another one three and that guy takes three and he multiplies it to another three. And then this guy has one. And he goes and hides it in the ground. And, the, and the, the, the guy comes back and he checks on his servant. He said, what would you do with the gifts I gave you? He said, well, you gave me five, I made five. You gave me three, I made three. And then he gets to the, the last guy. He says, well, I was embarrassed that I only had one and they had five, they had three. So I went and hid it in the ground. And he wasn't too happy about it. Because that gifting... And we compare it to other people, all of a sudden we find out, well, I'm not as good, I'm not as smart, I'm not as this, I'm not as that. But it says in the scriptures that when I am weak, he is made strong. So even if I have one gift or one talent, then I can rely and use the ability that God has given me to help me. And why does he want me to walk in that gift? It's so that I can minister to others and use it for others. Me and Maddie, we got married, we are still married been married for quite a while, and uh, we decided to buy each other wedding rings, much like spouses do when you're getting married. And we gave each other these rings. Um, now, these are unique rings as opposed to the, the mall that we bought them at, so there probably are other people out there somewhere that have these rings, but these rings are special to us, not just because of, of the metal um, or the massive rock that I bought for her, um, but there's stories attached to it. There's, there's, there's these personal relationships attached to this ring that remind me of her, and my ring reminds her of me. Now, if I put this ring down and one of you walk up and put the ring on, you don't instantly get married to my wife. It doesn't, I don't think it works that way. Or if you're so lucky and you pick up her ring, you don't become instantly married to me. Doesn't work that way. Because so many people, we try and put on somebody else's ring. Well, I see their gifting and I'm going to try and act or imitate like them. I'm going to be like them. But it doesn't fit. It doesn't work that way because God has given you your own gifting and there's a journey attached to that gifting. There is a relationship attached to that gifting that as you go on this journey with God, he wants to teach you on how to operate in that. He wants you to know your possessions. He doesn't want you to know somebody else's possession, know somebody else's gifting. I watch other ministers preach. I watch other pastors preach. But I can't mimic or mirror after them because, one, it would just be weird. If I tried to mimic their voice, if I tried to mimic their mannerisms, 
I can't do that. I've got to do the gifting that God has placed on me in regards to preaching, on how I study for a sermon, how I come up with a sermon, how I piece a sermon together, and then how I get up on stage and deliver that sermon. But because, in all reality, I'm not a fan of public speaking, I've got to rely on God to help me as I preach. This isn't me. This is him helping me as I go through it. You've got to know your possessions. Because when you know your possessions that God gave you, then you can thrive in the gifting that he has. And the last truth that we have in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, section C, crying out, Abba, Father. Crying out, Abba, Father. You've got to know your Papa for Father's Day. You know your position. You know your possession. And now you've got to know your Papa. This phrase, Abba, Father, is only mentioned three times in the Scriptures. One here, one in Mark, and one in Romans. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus is the one who cries out, Abba, Father. Mark chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says, He went a little further and fell on the ground. Remember, they had just got done uh, doing communion, just got done doing the Passover meal. They came to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, uh, and all the disciples get tired. He pulls his closest three, and he says, stay up and pray with me. I'm going to go a little bit further and pray, and they fall asleep three different times. Here he says, he went a little bit further away from the disciples, fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36 says, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not that I will, but that you will. And I believe from reading this scripture and studying, a lot of people uh, have preached that this is a moment where it shows the humanity of God. It shows uh, the moment where Jesus was scared of the cross. It, it, they, they preach that it shows the moment that Jesus was trying to get away from the cross. And, and if I'm being honest, it makes me really mad that that's how they try and portray Jesus at the moment that he's about to take on the sins of the earth. Because all throughout his ministry, he had told his disciples, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross. They're going to beat me. They're going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to be buried in a tomb, but three days later, I'm coming back. He says it over and over and over again. And then somehow he's portrayed as this scared little man trying to run away from his calling in this moment. That's not how I see it. That's not how I read it. That's not how I believe it. Because it says in the scriptures that Jesus, as he's praying, it says he starts sweating these great drops of blood. There's this intense pressure upon him, not because he's scared of what's about to happen. Because sin, for the first time, is starting to come on a perfect person. God, his father, is starting to pull away. For the first time, Jesus is experiencing this disconnect from his Father. For the first time, he's experiencing the weight and the heaviness 
of sin. And it's becoming so intense, it's becoming so severe on him that it says that he is starting to sweat drops of blood, which is a crazy medical condition that doesn't happen often. And if it does happen, then usually the person dies a couple minutes to a couple hours after that starts happening. So what Jesus is praying here, as he's feeling the disconnect from his father, he's calling out to his father, God, if you want me to die right here for the sins of the world, then I'll do it. But I know that's not your will. Your will is for me to make it to the cross. So I need you to help me, Abba Father, right now in this moment so that I can make it to the cross. If it's your will, then I'll die right here for the sins of the world. But I know that's not your will. So Abba Father, I need you to help me get to the cross. I need you to give me strength to make it there and to die on that cross. And if you keep reading the scriptures, it says that angels showed up and ministered to him and helped him. And then he stood up, he woke up his disciples, and he said, come on, it's time to go. All his disciples ran away, but he stood there in the Garden of Gethsemane. So how could he be in the garden praying, God, take this away from me, I'm so scared. And then he stands up in the garden when he has time to run away, and he stands there, and he says, who are you looking for? Because that's who I am, and let's go. And then he heals somebody because their ear gets chopped off. He doesn't fight. He doesn't run. He doesn't tell his disciples, now's the time. He doesn't call down a legion of angels to destroy and disperse all the Pharisees and Sadducees. No, no, no. He wasn't praying to get away from the cross. He was praying to get to the cross. And he called out to his Abba Father. Now, the beautiful thing is, This is a new name that God had not been calling, that that it hadn't been revealed. Because you can see throughout the Gospels that people are freaking out when Jesus is calling God his father. Because that's not what the Jewish people were taught. We call him Yahweh. We call him all these different names. But father was not a name that had been revealed yet. And now this man who's claiming that he's a son of God is calling God father. This intimate, this personal relationship. And you would think that the Jews would take that name and run with it, and the Jews would take that name and say, that's our name. That's what we call God. He's the one who created us. He's the one who brought us out of slavery. He's the one that brought us into the promised land. He's the one who gave us King David, that he, his son came through our lineage. That is our father. The Gentiles do not get to call God Daddy. He does not get to call him Abba Father. He does not. But we know in the scriptures that Paul only writes what Jesus inspires him to write. And there's two different passages here, once in Galatians chapter 4 and also in Romans chapter 8 that we're about to read, where Paul makes the statement and calls God Abba, Father. So Paul only writes what Jesus tells him to write, and Jesus made it a priority and made it a point to tell the church of Rome and the church of Galatia that you get to call him, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage. Remember the scripture we just wrote, we just read in Hebrews, where we have been released from a lifetime of bondage? You didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But what you received is the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, that we get the opportunity to cry out, Abba, Father. And look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. 
And what does he bear witness with our spirit? That we are, know your position, we are children of God. I want to remind you today that it is not, it's non-negotiable to God that you're one of his sons and daughters. To God, as soon as you say yes, you're a son, you're a daughter. And you know what? To the devil, he knows the position that you have. To the devil, he knows how powerful the sons and daughters of God are. But somehow, in between your two ears is where you forget your position. God doesn't forget that you're a son and daughter. He's ready to meet your needs, to help you, to show up, to do whatever he has to do. The devil knows your position, and he's constantly coming to steal and kill and destroy and overthrow and try and trick you and remind you that you're not that. The devil knows your position. God knows your position. It's time for each and every one of us to remember and know our position. As Jesus has left the garden and he makes it to the cross, He's dying on the cross. He's been up there for a couple of hours now. Jesus is in the worst pain he's ever experienced in his life. Jesus is experiencing the worst rejection that he's ever experienced. His family, his friends, his literal creation, and ultimately his father. Remember, as Jesus is on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he feels this disconnect from God. He's experiencing things that Jesus, for all of eternity, he's never experienced before. He's experiencing the weight of not just one person's sin and sickness, he's experiencing the weight of all of the world from the beginning of time to the end, the weight of that sin and sickness upon his life. Jesus, who has been alive for all of eternity, for the first time in his life as he's hanging on that cross, is experiencing death, something that he's never experienced before. And one of the last things that he says before he breathes out and yells out, it is finished, in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, Remember, God and him are separated. He doesn't feel, he doesn't know where God is. He's on that cross all alone, experiencing pain in his physical body, experiencing all the emotion of being rejected and being laughed at and being dehumanized. He's experiencing the pain in his spirit, the separation of God, separation as sin and sickness sit on him, and he's experiencing for the first time physically and eternally death that he's never experienced before. And the last thing he says is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. One of the biggest faith statements that have ever been uttered in the history of humanity. He has no connection to his father. And he looks up in the sky and he says, Father! I've been talking about this over and over and over again, that I'm going to die. and I'm going to go into hell. But in three days, you're going to raise me from the dead. And he's got no assurance. God isn't there next to him saying, I'll see you in three days. Thanks for all you're doing. He has no connection. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, knowing that in three days you're going to come and get me. But not knowing 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That we know our Papa just like Jesus did. That we don't wait until the worst situation of our life, the most painful situation. So many people wait until the very end of their life or the worst situation happens. And then they cry out to their father. And it's okay, you can do that. He'll answer. But the reason Jesus cried out to his father at that moment is because he had been talking to his father so many times. Which means there had to be a reassurance that God had been speaking to him, saying, I'm coming to get you in three days, boy. I'm coming to get you. You pay that price. You do what you've got to do. And I'm coming to get you in three days. And I'm going to raise you up. And I'm going to put your name. And you're going to defeat the devil. And you're going to have sons of glory. I'm going to make you the captain of our salvation. I'm going to make you the author of our eternal salvation. And when he got to that cross and God wasn't there, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit because you've said it before. Because I've cried out to my father before. And I know that you'll show up because you showed up before. And that we learn to know our Father right now in the good times and the bad times. That we have this time with him. That Jesus wakes up and he goes and prays all throughout his ministry. And he spends time with his Father. So when he's at the worst moment of his human existence, he's still crying out to his father knowing that he's going to answer. And three days later, daddy didn't disappoint. Here he comes. And he roars into that grave. And he roars into hell. And he says, you've done enough. It is finished. You've made a mockery. You've taken death, hell, and the grave. And it's time to come back to life. And now there is a seat at the right hand of my throne. And you get to be the head over everything You got to know your father. Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and verse 7, as we finish. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Verse 7 says, Therefore, you are no longer a slave. Know your position, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. So whatever Jesus has means you have it. And all you've got to do is ask and you shall receive. So on Father's Day, now that you have been cognized, you now know your position is as a son of God. You now know your possession is that God wants to and has given you good gifts. And you now know your papa is always willing to be there for his sons and daughters when they cry out to him. Amen. Let's stand up. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're our Father, that you've given us the ability to call you Father, that there's so many names that we could call you, but the most personal, the most intimate is that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Each and every one of us has something going on in our lives that we're frustrated with, that we're tired of, that we're angry about, that we don't know the answer to, and Father, remind us today to go and know our Father on Father's Day, to go walk boldly into his throne room ask for mercy and grace, to ask for the answer that we need to help us as we make it through whatever this situation is. Father, remind your people today that they know their position. They are a son and daughter of the Most High God. Remind them today to know their possession, that you gave them the Holy Spirit upon their salvation. But there's other giftings that you have placed inside of them that they can use to help them in their walk with life and use to minister to other people. 
And Father, we know you. We reach out to you. We cry out to our Abba Father today. Help us, heal us, save us, restore us. Father, I thank you for the people here. I thank you that they're blessed and highly favored. I thank you that your word says that they're the head and not the tail. They're above and not beneath. They're blessed in the city and blessed in the field. They are blessed where they are right now, and they're blessed in the future that you are already preparing for them. Father, I thank you that everything we put our hands to prospers. I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. I thank you that they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth, and we know our gifting, and therefore we're going to use our gifting everywhere we go as we go into this week. Father, miracle signs and wonders are following these believers as they go to work, as they go back home, wherever they're traveling to. Father, I thank you that Pastor Eric and Heather are coming this week. Father, I thank you for safe flights, safe travel, on-time flights, on-time travel, and that you have given him a word to speak to us on Thursday night, and you've given him a word to speak to us on Sunday. So, Father, bless that couple as they travel here. Protect them. Keep them safe. And, Father, bless and protect each and every person here, and bless the fathers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you all Thursday and Sunday. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.